Welcome to the Perfect Human Diet Podcast. I'm C.J. Hunt, writer-director of the hit documentary, The Perfect Human Diet, and today continues with The Perfect Human Diet's companion book as an audiobook. Each audiobook podcast will be presented by chapter, and as you get to know me and have questions, just call them in via the Anchor FM website or app, and you'll get them answered in an upcoming podcast. The Perfect Human Diet, the simple doctor-proven solution for the health and the life you deserve. Chapter 6, Think Treasure, Exactly Like Us. Well, fortunately, they were healthy because we would not be here if they were not healthy. Professor Maria Soressi, Max Planck Institute of Evolutionary Anthropology. In early 2006, I repeatedly heard the same words after the completion of every interview. You know who you should go talk to is, followed by the name of a scientist or researcher I'd never heard of, but who possessed a crucial expertise that might help me in my search. This is also the occasion where I first heard there was new technology that can tell us exactly what humans ate in the past. No more theories, just scientific facts. As a journalist filmmaker, I was excited and intrigued to learn about this recent scientific innovation that could reveal archaeological details that were previously unknowable. We've all heard of the be careful what you ask for stories, and this unexpected opportunity turned out to be located at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Leipzig, Germany. I had one brief moment of pause upon hearing this, as I was still a college student getting by on a small school loan and trying to finance this treasure hunt out of my own pocket. Nevertheless, I called up Professor Mike Richards, director of the Anthropological Sciences Department at the Institute, to see if he would be willing to be interviewed for the film. Not only was he willing, but he suggested I visit one of his department's active digs that summer in the south of France before coming to see him. Starting there would enable me to interview additional experts from their team and follow the bones back to the lab in Leipzig where they are analyzed, a unique opportunity to film the human nutrition discovery process from start to finish. And of course, you never know what unexpected things you will discover if you're open to follow the story where it leads you. Little did I know how important this trip would be. A few months later, I found myself a short distance north of Bordeaux, France, standing in the middle of a fascinating archaeological dig site described as the site of Jean-Zac by Paleolithic archaeologist Professor Shannon McFerrin when he introduced me to the site. He continued my introduction by saying, They came here. They were butchering these animals. They were leaving behind the bones and the stone tools. We want to know a little bit more about that. Were they cutting off the meaty parts and taking those with them? Do you find evidence of those parts still here? What exactly was the process that led to the creation of this thick deposit of bones? The Jean Zac site is a Middle Paleolithic and Early Upper Paleolithic site that was discovered accidentally just over a hundred years ago when the local people cut a road through a hillside to access limestone, which they then quarried for building material. The exposed walls of earth on either side of the road cut revealed a number of very rich layers of artifacts and bones. But interestingly enough, they didn't report it to officials. The discovery didn't make it into any publications, and the site went unnoticed again for about 100 years. Then in the 1990s, a French geologist working in the region came to the site, noticed the stone tools and bones in the layers, and brought it to the attention of local archaeologists who realized the importance of the find. Now the Max Planck team was back, working at the site for the third and last time to explore this rich archaeological find. In the dig, success leaves clues. In addition to a large bit of animal bones the team was excavating, 
One of the most interesting things about the site is the many layers on both sides of the roadbed, much of which is straight up and down like the walls of a room. The layers encompass three distinct time periods, starting at the floor, the dig, and progressing upwards to the most recent time at the top of the wall. The long period when Neanderthals inhabited the area, the short time when modern humans entered the picture, artifacts from both groups share some of the limestone layers, and the last and most recent layer representing only modern humans, the Neanderthals had disappeared. The team looks for artifacts that help reconstruct the diets of Neanderthals and modern humans. In order to reconstruct that diet, they retrieve and study the bones and stone tools left behind the layers by both groups. Professor McFerrin explained that the primitive stone tools they were finding, such as scrapers and hand axes, were used for butchering food animals brought back from hunting. He said, when you see this stone technology, you can spot it. It has certain characteristics that we can easily identify. In a lot of sites in the region, it's associated with these kinds of bone bed deposits. Of course, I was very interested in anything they found in the site that would tell us about the diet of the modern humans who live there. I wanted to know things like what kind of animals they hunted, and if the bones I could see the team recovering were animal bones. There were lots of them. Yep, all animal bones and mostly reindeer. There were some horse, and there are some bison as well. But it's mostly reindeer, meaning that they were probably in a cold period at this point in time. Then we get a series of layers that are not as rich, but tend to have the same kinds of bones and the same kinds of stone tools. One thing the researchers have lots of evidence for is marrow extraction, breaking the bones open to get the marrow out. Learning this, I asked the professor if there was anything else the team was recovering, in addition to that evidence, which could explain very specifically what foods they ate. The evidence, for the most part, is going to come from the bones because that's what's preserved. We can talk later about isotopic studies. They give you a different line of evidence in the diet. But here, what we're looking at are mostly large mammals. As I said, reindeer, and then there's some evidence of a shift towards the top of our sequence, the period of modern humans replacing Neanderthals, towards some horse and some bison. It's interesting to note what animals they could have been food sources in these periods, but are missing from the site, particularly since there is a common assumption that modern humans, as opportunists, would eat anything they could get their hands on wherever they were located. But in actuality, Neanderthals and modern humans both appear to have had clear preferences for certain food sources over others, when they could get them just like we do in our time. Mostly, they preferred medium-sized to large mammals. Missing were small animals such as the rabbit and small carnivores like fox. Birds especially were very rare, and you don't find a lot of fish in their diets either. For example, I was told in a follow-up call with the Department of Human Evolution in 2014 that recent research revealed that early modern humans living around the Mediterranean Sea did not exploit seafood. Contrary to popular belief, marine resources were not important foods in their diet at that time. The source of dietary protein consumed mainly originated from the meat of medium to large terrestrial herbivores, said Marcelo Manio, an archaeologist at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology. I asked Professor McFerrin if there is anything especially unique about the food remains in the Jean Zoc dig site. He replied saying, not really. He said that just 30 minutes to the east was another dig site similar to Jean Zoc, and instead of reindeer as the apparent food of choice, it was bison and horse. But again, at that dig site, the dietary preference was for large mammals. That fact 
and the fact that the artifacts of food animals remain the same in all layers of the Zhanzak dig site supported what I'd been learning about our species actively hunting animal foods, even after the disappearance of the Neanderthal. But even more interesting was what Professor McFerrin said as our discussion continued. Professor McFerrin, you don't find Neanderthals after that layer. The moderns came in. I said, so modern humans, more like us? The professor said, yes, exactly like us. I said, exactly like us? The professor continued, yes, at least in terms of what we can say about their biology, exactly like us. And when we look at the archaeology, they had a range of cultural behavior that we would say is modern. They were modern humans. They had a brain that was organized, as far as we can tell, like ours. They did different things, of course, but they had that potential to do the same range of the kinds of things that we do today. Agriculture. Before we wrapped up the shoot, I asked the professor one last question. Was there any evidence of agriculture at the site? He noted that the top layer of the excavation dated back to about 10,000 years ago, which coincided with early humans adopting agriculture. But grain and plant agriculture started in the Near East, and it took many years to work its way into Western Europe. The people in this part of the world were still hunter-gatherers, whose main diet was medium to large game animals. The elephant in the room. Were they healthy? I also had a chance to talk with another senior member of the team, Professor Marie Soresse. Currently, Professor Soresse is a researcher at the French National Institute for Preventative Archaeology, where she is responsible for Paleolithic excavations in the center of France. Her main interests include research into what behaviors contributed to the success of anatomically modern humans in Europe. Of course, one of the big questions brought up repeatedly by the media in our time is whether or not we should use early modern humans and their diet as a guideline for our own health. Her answer was as straightforward as one could get, and charming through her French accent. I asked, Professor Ceresi, would you say, based on the archaeological evidence, that they, modern humans, were healthy compared to humans today? She replied, well, fortunately, they were healthy, because we would not be here if they were not healthy. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Perfect Human Diet. If you have any questions, just call them in and leave a message via the Anchor FM app. I'll answer it in an upcoming episode. If you're enjoying the podcast and audiobook, please be sure to take a moment and leave your raise and reviews, and also click subscribe so you don't miss any of the free audiobook. You probably already know leaving a review moves the podcast up the charts, helping others find and benefit from this podcast too. Until next time, this is CJ Hunt and The Perfect Human Diet.